Hi, I'm Afi. I'm Jess. I'm August. And I'm Carl. Today is a really exciting day, because today we are starting a two-part conversation on privacy. Yeah, the thing that started us off. Almost omitted, we, we almost didn't have an episode on this until we realized it was such an omission that we had to make an episode. Yeah, and Afi, I remember in the first episode, you mentioned this, that privacy was the founding issue, you know, the galvanizing issue. Uh, <laughs> Um, and it's true, and today we're just going to talk about why that was an issue for us, yeah. why it's so personal, you know, why, and privacy is, by definition, this personal issue about the way that you share yourself with the world and how much control you have over that. It's an issue of privilege and power, um, and it's also just about your basic health, mental health, your sanity. Um, I remember the first time that I saw privacy as an issue that I wanted to get involved in and to promote, it was it was purely political. I remember in 2016, I had just entered college. It had been a couple months, uh, and the election occurred. For a second, I was like, I did too. I was like, wait, I'm the same Yeah, and I was in a new city, it was a new school, and new people, and then um, after the 2016 election, it just seemed like a cascade of politically destabilizing events that... I thought at 18, I thought I had a good grasp of the world. I thought I knew what was going on. I clearly did not. And the political events very around 18, me. Very 18. Exactly. Every, as every 18-year-old should. Uh, and I became very confused about how, uh, how these events were happening and what direction this country was taking and whether I even understood the country in which I lived uh, all that well. And something occurred to me with uh, an event commonly known as the Cambridge Analytica scandal or crisis, uh, where a small data analytics firm used psychometrics to nudge and prod voters uh, in that election for the purpose of electoral manipulation or influence. I began to look at all these technologies that I had loved since I was a child and had been interested in, uh, even in high school. I remember I would bring my iPad to school to take notes. I was the only one who did that. Uh, you know, I, it wasn't all that. Efficient. So you've always been kind of weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love these technologies and I saw, and I associated them with progress, but then I began to realize that maybe technology was a bit of a problem. It was becoming more problematic. It was becoming, it was having all of these secondary and tertiary unintended consequences that was changing the way that we interact and was getting in the way of cooperation. Yeah. And I think we'll touch more on Cambridge Analytica. We'll sort of break it down for listeners, but just one important thing to understand is that most of what happened in the Cambridge Analytica scandal was above board. It really was the final aspect of sharing collected information to a third party that kind of broke the rule. But beyond that, the collection of information that could pretty easily be used to manipulate people, that was technically allowed. Um, I I have to say, I I love this uh, story time Anybody else? Anybody else want to pitch in with what brought them into privacy? I feel like mine's much younger. I, you know, I'm a gay man, and I feel like I started to explore my identity online first and foremost. Um, I remember watching Chris Crocker videos. You all might remember Chris Crocker as "Leave Britney Alone," <laughs> but they also made a ton of YouTube videos about gender and identity. All the way back in like 2007, 8, 9, um, there were a ton of, you know, non-binary people 
online a ton of just other queer people like me and it became somewhat of a refuge in my school life. I'm, you know, I, I presented very um, stereotypical. I was an athlete. Uh, I did a lot of things to conform to, a, I think, masculine identity, but it was the only place I was able to really, uh, the internet became this place I was able to explore uh, different parts myself. Anonymously. Very anonymously, yeah, but not so anonymously <laughs> as like, you know, you come to find. Um, and I remember in high school, I stopped being friends with uh, a handful of people when they, uh, crossed the line with me, I felt personally, and hacked my computer, got all my passwords and all my information. And it was a thing they did. Uh, they are very equipped with technology. But I remember the only thing I was afraid of, I didn't care about anything <laughs> except for maybe they'd see my YouTube history. Maybe they'd see, you know, the, I don't know. They'd find out. And I, I felt very exposed only for one reason. And the, <laughs> the privacy thing for me, it became a thing for me. Yeah. Uh, I think about 13, 12, 11, when I, I realized I had a thing to hide and this trail, uh, you know, history online that could expose it. For me, I think my first exposure to privacy was not even related necessarily to the digital realm, but more from kind of a historical perspective. Um, and it was specifically a movie that I think first alerted me to privacy as an issue. Uh, the movie is called The Lives of Others. Um, which is a movie, I think, from 2006, perhaps. But um, it, it's a movie about a Stasi officer and how he surveils a number of individuals in the East German regime and how he comes to start um, understanding how he's invading uh, these individuals' privacy and how he starts turning against the regime and coming to regret what, um, what he did. But I think one scene that I found especially interesting in that movie was toward the end of it, where when, when the East German regime fell, um, people were then able to see the files that the Stasi had collected on them, um, because the Stasi really was an incredibly efficient information gathering regime before the digital age. Um, and just looking at these stacks of papers uh, that really just describe the most intimate details about these individuals' lives, uh, that to me just was astounding and made me concerned about this issue of privacy and how all of this information, to a certain degree, it's who you are. It, it might not be all that you are, but it really um, does capture a lot of, of, of who you are and it makes you vulnerable. And someone having that information on you can then use it in order to manipulate you, in order to blackmail you, in order to exert power over you. And so I think that's how I first became interested in privacy. And if I could just say, Carl, it's, it's worth noting that privacy has this long history. It's been an issue for people as long as they've considered themselves individuals and as long as governments have kept filing cabinets. It's been, uh, it's, it's always an issue of power. What about you, Jess? You're a privacy nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it started for me, so I was in college, I think. Um, I, I was taking this philosophy class about, it was like an intro to law, intro to law philosophy, I don't know, but we talked about property. And there was an aspect of that that was like property over your home and what that means in terms of privacy. Like where does, where does largely like where does property begin? How do you acquire property? But also like how do you maintain it? And the, the right to exclude somebody from your property really is, was really about like, what does it mean to own yourself? And like, what does it mean to have the ability to exclude other people from information about yourself or insight into your personal life? And like, 
where do you have walls that are that belong only to you? And I realized, like, reading some of these treatises, and th- these, are, these are, like, important treatises. I mean, they've been used in debates about, like, reproductive rights. Like, they've established, like, the privacy of someone's home and what happens inside someone's home. Um, but at the same time as I was studying this, I was, like, all over the Internet. I was, like, I was on Snapchat. I was on Instagram. I'd, I had already given up Facebook, I think, just because I didn't like the aesthetic of the platform, probably. I thought it was annoying. But, like... <laughs> I, I was, like, broadcasting so many aspects of my life, like, what I had for breakfast. And, like, it's because everyone was doing it. But I just remember this day feeling like all of a sudden, like, I had personally really invaded my own privacy. Like, nothing was just my own. It almost felt like the moments that were most private, which is when I was alone, was when I was craving connection with other people. And so I never had those, like, moments alone. So I took, like, a long hiatus from social media. I feel like I've, like kind of come back like hesitantly but I think just our generation's impulse to share and I think overshare really is what interests me most sociologically about like the concept of privacy dude I literally we're like the same because from my freshman year of college until I got back to law school I was no longer really on social media I like made a point I felt like I'd given too much myself and not to get too heady but I listen to Duncan Trussell's podcast sometimes, and he's very much into vibrations and spirits and all this, like, really, uh, you know, all that weird stuff that's kind of fun sometimes. And he was talking about how giving away of your soul that, I don't know, it really stuck with me, this idea of just putting, giving all your stuff out there in a way that can be used and manipulated in the ways that you were saying, Carl. Um, I don't know, it's really... I've thought about that a lot in these privacy talks. <laughs> yeah, we're we're I think we're lucky as as Americans, we haven't been well, we we felt like it was a safe place to share and we also don't have like this long long history of surveillance to the extent that other countries do. So maybe we were more naive. I mean, I remember my parents like when Facebook started being a thing being like nothing that you put online will ever go away. <laughs> and I was like, you don't, under- yes, it will. Like, you don't understand how to use whatever the internet, but like, they're right. <laughs> no, exactly. They're, they were right. And like, yeah. I think we can, as a society, decide to engage with it to a limited extent. But I think a lot of people don't think that far ahead in terms of what they're going to do online. And just hearing all of our stories of how we first found the issue of privacy, uh, Jess, you said it was property. Carl, history, uh, Afi, personality and sexuality. Uh, and for me, it was, it was politics. And all of these kind of show how multidimensional privacy is, um, how much it's a layer over all aspects of our lives. Um, and it makes me think about that seminar that started all of this. Uh, it was called Data, colon, Privacy, Property and Security. And the point was that privacy is all of those things, depending on where you are and what you're doing and what your goals are. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of a universal way to describe privacy. And actually, I I think that might be a pointless exercise because uh, so much of a privacy is just control of ourselves, our own autonomy, how much respect we should give to ourselves, how much respect we should demand from others. Yeah. In... um I think in that class, we were introduced to um, that Harvard Law Review article, The Right to Privacy, um, by Brandeis and Warren. I think that was in like the, the 80s or 90s they published that. And they defined privacy as the right to be let alone. Yes, and that was over 100 years ago. Uh, it was, and that was when privacy, at least in terms of jurisprudence, was 
very different than it was today. It was based on the original tour to privacy. That was almost very much about your home, about people looking into your backyard. Um, it's interesting to see how that kind of doctrine evolves when we now live in a world where in, the, in a digital environment, everything you do is traced. You're constantly leaving background um, uh, indicators of, of your actions, of your thoughts. And I think I really want to make sure people understand that we, I don't think that we are alarmists about this. I think that, I think that it's actually alarming. And I think that the people that really understand how these technologies work, they go to extreme lengths to preserve their own privacy. Mark, Mark Zuckerberg spent $30 million to buy the houses surrounding his house to ensure a zone of privacy for himself. So it costs $30 million to be totally private and get to know. No small sum. Yeah. <laughs> right. While many engineers are privacy agnostic or even privacy atheists, they don't believe that it's a concept that's valid. Um, we have these divides in terms of how private our life should be that maybe track on to political or social divides and maybe they don't. Is privacy the perfect vessel for protecting people from these, from surveillance and from the fact that our information flows so quickly uh, or will it need to be augmented? Uh, how, how should privacy change and how will it change in the future? So today we're gonna have a conversation about privacy and how it relates to us and uh, how we found it and how it can relate to you and why it's important for your own personal life. We're gonna discuss just, just ourselves, because at the end of the day, we're all the final authorities as to how much privacy we want to demand from the technologies that are structuring our digital lives.